Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, siblings. Today's readings are Matthew 7 through 8. Rabbit Trails Here's the good news. A lot of what we are reading in Matthew repeats in the other Gospels, so my notes will eventually get shorter. Got your swimsuit on? I'm so excited to share the end part of this note with you, so let's dive in. Boy, Messiah doesn't waste any time, does he? He just shows up and starts dishing it out, straight and sharp. We begin chapter 7 with Messiah ordering us not to judge lest we be judged. The Greek word used here is krino, which means to condemn. We are warned against condemning others, as only the Father has the right and privilege of determining the eternal fate of a person. Instead, Messiah cautions us to look to ourselves first and foremost. I find that the more I read the Word and seek the Father, the busier He keeps me working on myself and following Him, and I have less and less time to even glance at the sins of others. I don't know about y'all, but getting me in order is an eternal job as it is. And with regards to others, we are not able to know the stage at what stage of spiritual development they are in at any given moment. Only the Father knows that. Therefore, I don't want to risk acting of my own accord and causing damage to the person's faith as they have been walking it out with the Father. That's why I always say we should interact with everyone in accordance with the fruits of the Spirit, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we do this, no matter if they are a seed, a sprout, a plant, or a tree about to bear fruit, we will fertilize them regardless. I would much rather be found fertilizing what Yahweh has planted rather than poisoning it. Matthew 7, 6 is some wisdom I've learned to live by. It reads, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Y'all, have you noticed that not everyone wants wisdom? And more prevalent still is that not everyone wants our opinions or knowledge. Save it for those whose heart is seeking and who are in a place to listen. If someone is always arguing, convinced they are right in their own eyes, or expressing hatred and disdain for you and the Father who sent you, hang on to your pearls, because there are folks out there who will cherish them, and the Father has them headed your way as we speak. Likewise, we should be seeking to learn as well. In Matthew 7 verse 13 we read, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. As of 2011, studies estimated that there were approximately 2.8 billion Christians in the world. This sounds like a wide path that many take, but let us look deeper. Fewer than 17% of them profess to read their Bible regularly. Fewer than that actually do. Fewer still read beyond the New Testament. 
Out of this dwindling number, even less than that consider the whole Bible to be applicable to them. Now that path is getting narrower. It is not a coincidence that we are told of the wide and narrow paths in the same breath that Messiah tells us to beware of people who will come posing as believers and messengers of Yahweh. We will know them by their fruit. What is fruit? The work they do. How they live their lives. Remember, works and obedience are not the root of our salvation, but they are the fruit of our salvation. And now we come to a passage that makes my heart stop each time I read it. This is one that my husband and I have decided is the saddest verse in the Bible. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, Messiah says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Did you see that? Believers, people who call Messiah their Lord, will call on him, relaying all the good things that they've done in his name. And what does he say in return? His rebuke is, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I can't imagine the depth of pain in such a rejection and the realization that what we thought was right and good and following after him has amounted to making us nothing but workers of lawlessness in his eyes. What is he saying here? Let's break it down a bit. The Greek term for law here is nomos, and the term being used here is anomos or anomian. Whereas nomos means law, nomian would be a law-abiding citizen. An anomian is a citizen who knows full well what the law is, but refuses to obey it. They choose to live outside of the law. Take a minute to digest that. Better yet, let's let Messiah sum it up for us in his next words. In Matthew 7, verses 26 through 27, he says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Messiah doesn't play. Moving on, he couldn't even bury his own father. When a man claims that he wants to follow Messiah but requests permission to go bury his father instead, Messiah rebukes him with, Follow me and leave the dead to bury the dead. Matthew 8, 22. Now this seems harsh, but we need to understand just what this man is saying. At first, we assume he's expressed a desire to follow Messiah, but then he wants an immediate pass at doing so. Now, in burying someone, we may view that as a day or two event, a few more at most. But in this time, the body of the deceased was interred on the day of their death. This was the first burial. During that time, the family retreats to their home where they may remain for the next seven days. After that, they waited for the body to have enough time to decompose entirely until nothing but bones were left. Then they went in and retrieved the bones. After all this was done, the period of mourning was finally over. 
So in asking what we think is a simple thing, he was essentially saying, I want to follow you, but give me a few months. Messiah's response was that following him should come first, not at our own convenience. Here's my favorite part. Remember when I told you that we were going to put Messiah back in context and see him as we've never seen him before? Well, that brings us to the part of our show called, Why Did He Do That? The part of our show where Messiah does something and we ask ourselves, why did he do that? Many of us have read the following passage and not thought too much of it. Matthew 8, 1 through 4. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. But whoa, Nellie, what Messiah just did was monumental, and it escaped all notice by us for two reasons. Number one, lack of knowledge of the scriptures. And number two, we are too far removed from the culture in which this exchange took place, but mostly the scriptures part in number one. Recall in Leviticus 13 and 14 that the father gave very specific instructions as to how the priests were to diagnose the lepers and what to do once a leper was diagnosed. In chapter 14 of Leviticus, the priests receive instructions on what to do when a leper is healed. The thing is, though, not once is there any record of a leper being healed. The priests were well acquainted with diagnosis, but they had never had to go through the priestly rituals of a leper being healed. Some of you may say, but Moses and Miriam, yes, they were stricken with a temporary bout of leprosy, but it was removed from them so quickly, especially in the case of Moses, that a priest didn't even have time to be consulted. And the father was clear in what he was doing both times. Important note, leprosy as it was known at that time, is not what we know as leprosy today. It was a spiritual affliction known as zarat, and generally, it never healed. It was a life sentence. Here's the thing. The Pharisees lived by two sets of laws. Remember, I mentioned dueling laws yesterday? Well, there is Yahweh's law, and there was their man-made law, sometimes referred to as oral law, and sometimes referred to as tradition. I capitalized those words, oral law and tradition, just to let them stand out to you as referencing something other than the general use of the word. I may or may not remember to do that going forward. We'll see. Now, there are prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah, what he would do, and how he would be known. So during his time here, he was going to fill all of those, obviously. However, the Pharisees had also added other things to the law that they felt Messiah would do to help them identify who he was when he came. Of course, Messiah only had to fulfill what the Father declared he would, but he went a step further, lest there be any doubt about who he was. He fulfilled not only the prophecy expectations regarding himself, but the conditions created later by the Pharisees as well. At this time, the Pharisees taught that there were two different categories of miracles. One category consisted of miracles anyone could perform if Yahweh deemed it so, and the other category consisted of miracles that only the Messiah would be able to perform, messianic miracles. This was part of their tradition or oral law. 
Let me pause a moment and define oral law. It is additional laws that were supposedly spoken and handed down through word of mouth from the Father, in addition to the commandments. That's how they saw it, at least. Now, once when I was a girl, I spent the night at my Papa Reed's farm. I was always an early riser, so I got up before the sun, got dressed, and went to head outside to play. My grandmother almost had a come apart, and I had no idea why until she looked at me, serious as can be, and explained that I was not to walk outside on the grass while it was still wet with dew, or I'd get sick. Even at a young age, I had enough experience to know that this was ridiculous, but I also had the sense to know not to tell her that. I went along, waiting inside for what seemed like forever, in order to honor her law. Was it true? No. But some generations back, one of her ancestors had told her this truth, and it had been passed down. At this point, the originator of this law was well past recognition, and it was just a law to be obeyed. This is how we can view oral law, but the credited source throughout generations is Yahweh, in most cases. However, Yahweh tells us that He has given us His law already in His Word. Now, according to their oral law, any time a Masonic miracle was performed, a priest was notified and an investigation had to be initiated to see if the Messiah had, in fact, come. This investigation involved two stages. During the first stage, after a claim, a group of leaders from the Pharisees were sent to observe this person for a period of seven days. During this time, they weren't allowed to interview them or comment on anything. They were just to follow them around and observe. If, from their observations during those seven days, they didn't see anything that would lead them to believe this could be the Messiah, the investigation was called off and everyone went on their way. However, if they saw further evidence that a Messianic miracle may have taken place, then the investigation went into the second phase. They then called out the big guns. A second group of leaders from the Pharisees were sent out to observe and follow this person. And this group was allowed to ask questions and pretty much interrogate the person at will in order to discern if they might be the Messiah. Now let's go back and read that passage again in Matthew 8 verses 1 through 4. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, do you see the significance of what he just did and why he said what he did? In healing the leper, Messiah had performed a miracle that only he could perform. He then told the man to be silent, tell no one else, but go to the priest who had to have diagnosed him as a leper already and show himself to them. By the way, the gift that Moses commanded is a reference to Leviticus 14 verses 1 through 32. And we need to take note that these are Yahweh's instructions being passed on by Moses. Messiah knew exactly what he was doing. He had just forced the leaders of the Pharisees, the main party who would oppose him, to not only take notice, but follow him around for the next seven days, listening to every word he said and witnessing every deed he did. 
Hang on, boys. Messiah's in town. School is about to start. Now you're going to understand why the Pharisee spent so much time following and watching him. Yep, he made that happen. What a boss move. Test everything. Hold tight to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 21. We are saved by grace alone. Obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. I love y'all. Bye-bye.